Amen. I'm so thankful for His presence. When we come into His presence, uh, there is no telling what He's going to do. And today, uh, I just feel His presence in a special way. Man, I know that uh, some of you are here and, and this is your first time. And if you know, if you don't consider yourself a religious person, then we're glad that you're here because we don't really consider ourselves religious either. Amen. You'll discover after some time we try to try to be spiritual and spirit-led, but we're not religious. You might be here because somebody bribed you and they said they would buy you lunch. Or they said you'd meet somebody cute. Whatever the reason, I'm glad that you're here. And if this is your first time in church or your first time in a while, maybe a long time and you feel out of place because you think, look at all these people, they're all good people. <laughs> Some of them have outsinned you 10 to 1. Don't let their pretty faces fool you. And let me just say this before I start. We may not all believe the same, but we all struggle with the same temptations, fears, insecurities, doubts. And you have more in common with us than you might imagine. And you're in the right place today. We're thrilled that you came and you took the risk to come to church today. Amen. You're in the right place. Amen. And I have found that so many times we come to church to sing good songs and maybe hear a good message, but we leave the same way that we came in. Nothing really changes. And when we live our lives like we are God's, we place ourselves and our desires on the throne of our lives, we will always find ourselves wanting more. There'll never be satisfaction. You'll be like Mick Jagger and you'll be singing it. I can't get no. You know. The reason for this dilemma is because things in our lives here on earth, if we want the things in our life here on earth, to be like it is in heaven, then something's got to change. Something's got to give. Amen? So today, if you would, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 18 and verse 37. John 18 and verse 37. Today we start a brand new series. It's called As It Is in Heaven. Over the next few weeks, the series is going to examine Jesus' definition of the kingdom of God and what these principles mean for you and for me today. As people of the kingdom, we've got to acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives. We have to live with hope for the future, and we have to align our lives to the, the will and to the reign of King Jesus. If you're wondering exactly what Jesus meant and how how exactly, according to the scripture, you can have things on earth, you can have things here as it is in heaven. You're going to want to pay attention for the next few moments. Let's read it together. John 18, 37, it says, Then Pilate, or Pilate therefore answered, uh, said unto him, what did he say? Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. And he says, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. 
Amen. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this simple subject, Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your sovereignty today in this house. Lord, in our hearts and lives, we turn to you, and God, we want you to rule and to reign, and God, we want you to have dominion in our lives, and God, we give you that authority right now, even before we begin today. God, let your word be spoken. Let our hearts and our spirits respond to your spoken word, and God, let your word do what it is set out to do today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody that loves the Lord, shout amen. Everybody that says Jesus is king in my life, shout amen. Amen. You may be seated. For many of us uh, here in contemporary Western democracies, uh, especially in the United States, the idea of a kingdom can be difficult for us. Uh, we, We don't really quite, I don't think we get it. People are used to electing their officials to run their country as they see fit. There is a a massive debate on so many different things, on so many different fronts right now. And before you think I'm about to be real political, I'm not. But the Democrats, they think they're right. The Republicans think they're right. And if you identify yourself as a Democrat, then you think that the Democrats are right and all Republicans are wrong for the most part. And if you uh, are a Republican, you think that the Democrats have lost their mind and they're running our country into the ground. I, I, I mean, that's the debate that goes on there, right? Well, let me, let me just see if I can clear some stuff up for those of you who are Christians. We are not in a democracy with God. We didn't elect him into office, and we can't impeach him. It's about to get real in here. (laughs) Even in places like the United Kingdom, uh, the monarchy co-rules with a parliament, prime minister, constitution, uh, kingdom. Sometimes we think of kingdom and we think of fairy tale knights and uh, medieval knights and, you know, kings and castles and dragons. But the Bible tells us that as Christians, we are part of God's kingdom. And Jesus is king over the entire universe, and there's no second, there's nobody that's his equal. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is our mission, and he brought that mission to us and said, I'm placing you in the kingdom. And just like Esther, we have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We are part of God's kingdom, and Jesus is the king. Many churches you would go to today, they would ask you to come to the front at the end. If you felt very moved at the end, they would say, uh, would you just raise your hand and repeat this prayer after us? And one of the parts of the prayer, you are committing to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And what I have found is so many places like this, they are okay with Jesus being their Savior, but they're not okay with Him being their Lord. We, we want Jesus to save us from our sins. We want Jesus to take us out of the mess that we're in. But Lord of our lives, really? Because if He's Lord, that means I'm His servant. That means I do what He says. That means my life belongs to Him. And if he is truly the Lord of my life, then what he says goes. 
And I don't find that, uh, I don't find that in a lot of people anymore. A lot of people say, oh, yes, uh, I love Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. And I say, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's, pretty big. That's a pretty big order right there. Do you realize what you've just said? You said Jesus is your king. He is the Lord over everything in your life. And here's the deal with Jesus. If Jesus isn't Lord over everything in your life, then truthfully, he's not Lord over anything in your life. Don't get nervous on me. What would you do if you had a kingdom? I mean, what would it look like? What values would guide your kingdom? It's easy for us to think about being royalty, and I, I find so many especially, and I'm sorry, ladies, but especially some of you ladies, you are so wrapped up in everything that happens with the princesses and the marriages and the, and the, and the babies. And I mean, like, literally, there's whole uh, magazines dedicated to the pictures that they snuck of these kids and the, and the princesses and the prince and, you know, all these things. And, and I know some of you are like, eh, I'm not into that that much. Yeah, me neither. But I understand that there is this attraction, there is this phenomenon of thinking, what would my life be like if I was royalty? What would I do if I were the princess or I were the prince or I were the king or the queen? And, and, and sometimes I, I wonder if we think about what would this world be like, would it be better or would it be worse if we were in charge of it? I mean, how would you handle insurrection? How would you handle rebellions? Probably like many of the kings of old did. Man, they came with force and squashed them. You know, off with their heads, you know. That's just the way that they handled stuff. We would handle stuff the way that humans handle stuff. But Jesus is not the same way. When they rebelled and rose up and had insurrection against him, he came in the form of a servant, took upon the likeness of man. Amen. He humbled himself, the Bible says, and he went to the cross and he endured the shame and he uh, uh, was crucified and he died so that we could again have relationship with him. That's my king. I'm not serving a king that's a bully. I'm not serving a king that's a dictator. I'm serving a king who was willing to give himself for me. He was willing to die for me. So I ask you today, who is running the show? Who's, who's, who's the boss? Who's on the throne in your life? You? Your family? Your kids, your spouse, your boss? Who are you most worried about keeping happy? Let's just, let's just think about that. Just preach to yourself for a second. Who am I most concerned with making happy? Who's on the throne of my life? Is it you? I got to, you know, I got to have me time. I got to keep me happy. I got to do something for myself. 
okay, nothing wrong with that, you know. Take care of your body, take care of yourself, I, no problem there. But is it overdone? Because it can be. When that's all you think about is me, you know. What about, what about your spouse? Are you like, you know, some people, they, they don't realize it, but they serve their spouse. They're like, if their spouse isn't happy, like the whole world is, is coming apart. Well, you know what? Uh, can I just, can I be very honest with you? I'm going to be very, very honest with you. This is no knock on my wife. My wife cannot satisfy, she cannot supply the need that my soul has. So if I depend on her to give me what I need, we're in trouble. <laughs> and, and conversely, I can't give her what she needs to truly be happy. And, and, and people that get into relationships like that, they tend to suck the life out of each other. And you know why? Because one or the other has not placed Jesus on the throne of their life. Some people are, are, are wondering, what are you talking about right now? You know, some of you, and, and I'm going to say this is with as much love as I can muster, uh, because I love you, but this is a real problem in our day. We put our kids on the throne of our lives. Our kids become the rulers of our lives. You know, and you, they, you know they don't command us, but they do command us. Their demands become our Got to take them here, got to take them there, got to do this, got to buy that, got to make sure this is happening, got to. We're, we're going to have to miss special service because, you know, uh, Sally, she's got practice, so we got to be there. What? That's a problem. That, that's, putting, that's putting our children above God. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. Our kids need to be involved, and they need to be in the community, and they need—they do. They need Jesus more than anything, and we got to model that for them. We have to show them Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the King. He belongs on the throne of our life. He—if He's really, truly Lord of our life, we've got to exalt Him to that place. Nothing can be more important. Nothing can take His place. And there are those maybe that today you're, you're looking for job or you're looking for career and you're, you're putting those things above your relationship with God and your time with God and your time with God's people. You know, this, is, this has always been kind of baffling to me. I have a hard time understanding why people like spending so much time with people that don't care anything for them. I mean, you want to work so many extra hours and some of those people could care less about you. You go to school, and there's so many other people going to school, and really, uh, let's, let's be honest, uh, academia used to be about getting, you know, people getting an education. Now it's, it's about the money. I mean, we know that. But I'm just saying that career is not going to satisfy you. The education and you having letters after your name, that's not going to satisfy you. And so when Jesus is dethroned and something else is put 
over top of him in your priority list, and, and that starts ruling your life. And you say, how do I know it's ruling my life? Well, look at your checkbook. Look at your account ledger. See where your money's going. You know, if, if you can look at your ledger and you say, oh, man, all my money's going to food. Well, then good. Food is your God. You know it. You, you figured it out. If you look, it's all going, or a lot of it's, the majority of it's going to entertainment, then, hey, then entertainment has become your, your God. If it's all going to stuff for your kids, I mean, look, I'm not trying, I, I, some of you are going to take this wrong, and I don't want you to take this wrong. I'm really, like, I'm not mad today. There's, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just trying to help you. I've got to to kind of wake us up to see that if we're going to be in the kingdom of God, Jesus has to be the king. I I know it's really simple, and it it probably doesn't even really need to be stated, but it does need to be stated. Because a lot of Christians have knocked Jesus off the throne. And they worry about everything else except for what's really important, and that's keeping him as king. That's making sure that we honor his wishes and apply his principles to our lives. When Jesus died on Calvary and rose from the grave, he brought heaven to earth. Because he conquered death, hell, and the grave, he took authority over every principality and power. And now, through salvation, we can walk in that authority. We can walk in that power with Jesus as our king. So my challenge to you today is if Jesus is not, put Jesus back on the throne in your life. Whatever you have replaced Jesus with, put Jesus back on the throne. Remove whatever else it is. Amen. I've used this before, this this image or illustration, whatever you want to call it. I love my wife. You guys know I love my wife. She usually I have to get permission before I use her uh, in illustrations. I didn't have time for that. This one I didn't plan on. So, uh, but when my when my wife and I got married, um, you know, we have this really cool relationship where uh, she's the only one for me, and I'm the only one for her. It's kind of how it is, and she wasn't just the number one lady in my life. She became the only lady in my life. I mean, it wasn't like I said, hey, honey, you know, I just want you to know there's uh, Sally and there's June and there's uh, Betty and, you know, but you are the number one. You will always be the number one. You will always have top place in my life. Can you imagine how that would have gone? preacher gets murdered on his wedding night. It would have been bad. She didn't want to be the number one. She wanted to be the only one. And and when, when God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he doesn't mean he just wants to be the top God in your life. He's saying he wants to be the only God in your life. He said, I'm a jealous God. Amen. Why is he jealous? Because he wants to give you the best life. And he knows you can't have the best life if your affections and your feelings and your desires are torn and they're split above all these things that the world is trying to pull you after. He said, I want to be the one and the only. I want to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords in your life. Jesus is king. 
In the Gospels, and especially in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus constantly spoke about the kingdom of God using parables, right? It's a theme throughout all the four Gospels. Some parables will begin, the kingdom of God is like. Jesus would be contrasting the kingdom of God to uh, kingdoms of this world. and uh, He uses this cluster of examples in, of kingdom parables in, in Matthew 13. And he says the kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing in his field, verses 3 to 9. He said it's like a mustard seed, verse 31 and 32, or a hidden treasure that someone finds in verse 44. Jesus used symbols to teach us about the kingdom. And if Jesus is the king, then the kingdom should be alive in our life. There should be evidence. It shouldn't be like you have to tell somebody, oh, by the way, Jesus is my king. No, they should like, be able to look at you and figure it out. They should be able to watch you for just a short period of time and be like, there is something different about them. They are not like everybody else. I, I have noticed something when I when I travel to other places, uh, and sometimes whenever I even go to places here in the United States, and there are people, you know that they are not from there, right? Like if you hear somebody, you know, speaking uh, Russian or speaking Japanese, and you are in the backwoods of Tennessee, you're like, hey, they did not grow up here. Some, <laughs> wait a second, you're not from here, are you? How did you figure that out? There's something different about the way that they talked. There was something different. They, they had an accent. Maybe they, they spoke a language that you hadn't heard before. Well, that's why when the world hears people speaking in tongues, they should be like, there's something different about you. You should have a, a, a Holy Ghost accent. Holy Ghost accent won't let you cuss. Well, won't let you talk dirty. Won't let you exalt other things. You know, that's why we've got to keep our flesh under subjection, and we have to let Jesus be the king in our lives. Because when he's the king in our life, you can go something. They're different. It's okay to be different. There's nothing wrong with being different. It's not a bad thing. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want Jesus to be the king in my life. Amen? I want to close uh, with this, this idea of the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus said it should be like if Jesus is the king in our life. This is what, this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he says a mustard seed. Anybody ever heard of a mustard seed? You know, all my life, I've heard mustard seed, you know, grain of mustard seed, faith of mustard seed, all these things. And we, you know, uh, recently I was, I was talking to somebody, and they actually said they wanted faith to grow inside them, so they swallowed a mustard seed. I said, I think you missed the point, but that's okay. Um, so here's, here's what I have found. Mustard seeds are very small. And, and just one spoonful can, can hold close to 100 mustard seeds. The mustard plant can germinate very quickly. It can uh, begin to spread quickly. And if it's not controlled, the, the mustard plant can become very large and it could even harbor birds' nests. From something so small can come something very large that can impact an entire garden. Now, some places 
They love mustard seed. They love mustard, and they grow it in fields. I'm going to show you in just a second. They're going to show you a field of mustard. It's just, it's awesome. It's so cool. It's like bright yellow. It's, it's beautiful. But there's other people that if mustard gets into your garden, guess what? It's, it might just take over because it, it produces seeds, and those seeds then fall into the ground, and they produce more seeds, and it's, it's amazing how quickly it can grow. In just the matter of a couple months, it can grow to like eight to ten feet tall, and it can be reproducing seeds. Some of y'all, you're not there yet, but we're going to get there. That plant might be irritating to some, but it will provide food and shelter for others. You see, the, the mustard seed is, it's, it's incredible. And there is Jesus in the boat, despised Jesus. Even his family had come to try to take him home. He was a rogue rabbi. He had some very unconventional and unimpressive disciples following him about what good could come out of this. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. There's not much in the mustard seed. It's really, I mean, if you were holding it in your hand, it just is just a speck. There's not much about it. It's very insignificant. But ask the birds of the air that make their nest in that tree how insignificant it is. One of the great things about the mustard seed is as it grows, uh, it, it produces, it produces quickly. And it produces in a way that makes it easy for the birds to find shelter in. Can you imagine being a predator trying to hunt for a bird in a, in a field of mustard seed? be pretty complicated. And so the smallest of seeds has the largest of potential, not just to grow, but to quickly take over a field. And Jesus didn't liken the kingdom of heaven to the great cedar tree or to an oak tree, but he said it's like a mustard seed. I hope that you understand this today. It, it's small, but it's powerful. I know it's really simple. It's not, it, not going to blow your mind here, but Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed that dies in the ground and becomes a blessing to everything around it. And it takes over wherever it's planted. And matter of fact, once it gets going, it's hard to stop it from spreading. <laughs> I find it amazing Jesus also likened our faith to a grain of mustard seed. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you just have to have a little bit. You don't need a whole lot. You just use what you got. You can say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Where there's just a little bit of faith. It can grow to immense proportions, spreading influence far and wide, benefiting those who come in contact with it. A seed can do nothing until it's planted. After that, it can overcome obstacles. It can even move rocks through its uh, continuous expansion and growth. That seed, amen, has the ability to do amazing things. Seeds are persistent and they never give up. And that's what Jesus said, that's what your faith has to be like. 
Your faith has to be uh, what seems as insignificant, what seems small. God, I don't have a whole lot of faith. Well, what do you have faith for? Let's put our faith into action today. let's, Let's go back to the focus of who our faith is in. You don't have to have a whole lot of faith. You just have to have faith in the right place. If your faith is in you, you're on the throne. Whoo-wee. Can I tell you how many times I have been disappointed by me? And don't get me started on how many times I've been disappointed with others that I put up in that place. If you put anything but Jesus in that top priority place, in that king of kings place in your life, if anything else is Lord over you in your life, you are not going to be happy. It's impossible. And you know it's true. You know I'm not lying because you're dealing with it right now. I know you're trying to keep your face straight and be slick and you don't want anybody to see, but I know. I know. I understand that is the dilemma. And when you have something else as king of your life or something else uh, as the ruler of your life, you cannot be happy because Jesus is the king. And if your faith is in him, then all things are possible. If your faith is in yourself, if your faith is in anything else, you will be let down royally. Pun intended. But if your faith is in Jesus, if he is your king, then anything is possible. Then the things on earth, as you speak and you command them in the name of the king. Now, y'all got to get this today. It can be on earth as it is in heaven. The reason you don't have the authority is because he's not king of your life. When he's king of your life, you speak with that authority. You can command things and things will move. Things will change. If he isn't king of your life, put him back on the throne today. Amen. We need to walk in that authority of King Jesus and let his word and his principles be the guiding force for our lives. The only way this is possible is we'll die out to self and die out to our selfish, natural desires. We're buried with Jesus by baptism into his death. And then he raises us up in newness of life and gives us his spirit. And then we are moved. The scripture says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we are moved into a new kingdom. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God. The only way that's possible is you got to die first. What do you mean I got to die? You got to die out to what you want. You got to die out to you being the king of your life. You have to say, okay, enough of this. The scripture says, unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce fruit. Some of us wonder why we're not producing more fruit spiritually, and it's because we ain't dead enough. We're still trying to keep us happy. We're still trying to please us. I knew this wasn't going to be like one of those swing from the rafters messages. But what happens when our faith gets to the right place? Then the smallest of seeds can become a mighty crop, and it will have an effect on everything around 
If we can just get our faith, it doesn't take a whole lot. You just have to get your faith in the right place. He said, just as a grain of mustard, some of you, you're just like, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. Just knock yourself off the throne. Just die out to those desires because if you can just get to that place where you put Jesus as king of your life, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want to make a difference for your children and those who you have influence with and those who would be sad if you were gone? Do you want to see your life mean something? Then you've got to exalt King Jesus back onto the throne of your life. And you've got to allow him to grow your life in the fashion that he sees fit. If he is the king, it will make all the difference in your life. There is a danger here, and I'm, I'm closing, but there is a danger. Maybe two dangers. One danger is that somebody might be tempted to see spiritual value in being small. But I'm, you know, I'm... Pastor, don't mess with me because I'm just, I'm still small. I'm like that mustard seed. Don't, you know, it's all good. And, and what happens in a lot of churches is smallness becomes, uh, you know, it's, well, you know, see how faithful we are because we're so small. But there's no, there's no praise in remaining a small mustard seed. That's not where God gets the glory. Where God gets the glory is when that seed falls into the ground and dies and then it produces that's when God gets the glory. And so I would say, uh, you know, don't get that spiritual sickness of, well, I'm just going to stay small. I'm not going to produce anything. I don't need to teach Bible studies. I'm just going to come to church every once in a while, and I'll try to keep Jesus as king. No, you are intended to produce. You are intended to take over. <laughs> Come on, now, I, I know that some of you are getting this, but you are intended to be a blessing to everybody around you. I know that your faith may have started out very small, but if you will die out to the flesh and you'll die out to your desires and you'll say, Jesus, you are king of my life, what would you have me to do today? You cannot help but produce you know what's going to be produced in your life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. It's all going to happen because Jesus is king of your life. And then you'll start seeing spiritual fruit produced. You'll start seeing people be blessed. You'll see that seed that's been put in you planted in somebody else, and God will start doing something in their life. And before you know it, your family and your friends will be affected by it. That's how the kingdom works when Jesus is the king. I'm closing, I'm closing, but the second danger is those who might say, well, look at me. I'm a big old stalk. I am bright and shiny. I'm over 10 feet high. Can I just, can I say this, being big for the sake of being big is not really the point. If you're big and you're getting the glory because you're big, it's not going to last. You can be cut down in a moment. That's why some churches, they're like, well, look at us. Look what we're doing. And they, they've learned how to gather a crowd, but they're not building a church. There's some people that, that they, they have learned how to make themselves look good in front of people, and they say everything everybody wants to hear, and they do the things that everybody, well, you know, we expect, oh, yeah, they're looking good. Everything's looking great there, but there's something missing in their life. Being big for the sake of being big is not the point. It's who's getting the glory 
out of the produce? Who's getting the glory out of your growth? Who's getting the glory out of what you are becoming? If God is not getting the glory out of the growth in your life, in your church, in your family, then guess what? It can all be cut down in just a moment. King Jesus doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. How do you think this, that his will is carried out in heaven? As they come to the music, how, how do you think Jesus' will is carried out in heaven? Think about it. Do you think that he says, hey, angels, um, today I think I'd like to, uh, I think I'd like to pick up some stuff over here and, you know, probably over there, would, would you mind cleaning that up and uh, would it be okay if you uh, would rearrange this back here? Do you think whenever he gives a command that he has to beg and plead, the angels? Oh, please, please, angels, would you please make sure? That... Do you think that the angels sit around and they say, well, I know, I know Jesus wants us to get this straightened up today, but we'll, we'll get to it. I know that there's some things that, that need to be changed because Jesus said they need to be changed, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait until something really moves me, and then, then I'm going to, that's when I'm going to respond. You think that's how it happens in heaven? No. I don't think it happens like that at all. Matter of fact, I think as the words are coming out of his mouth, they snap to attention. They're like, okay. All right, where are we going today? What's going on today? Who are we touching today? What are we going to be doing? Okay, let's go. I think the moment that the command is spoken, there's immediate obedience. And that immediate obedience leads to things being accomplished, and, and we say in heaven, but really the kingdom of God is here. Do you know heaven isn't a place in the great by and by? Now, is there a city? Oh, yeah, I believe there is. I believe there's mansions prepared. I, I believe it's streets of gold, gates of, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. I believe that it's going to be beautiful. But do you know what's possible? It's possible to have heaven on earth. Jesus showed us. Jesus showed us how we have heaven on earth. When things on earth become as they are in heaven, where he is king, where he reigns supreme. And when he says, jump, the angels say, how high? When he says, move, they're already gone. We here on earth, not so much. Like, well, let me hold on, hold on let me see. Um, let me check my calendar. I think I might have something available for you in a couple months. Right? Can we be honest? We, let me break it down to the right here and now. We're in this service, and we know we need to put Jesus back on the throne of our life, but we're thinking, how can I get out of here without doing what the preacher has just preached? Is there any way that I can look somewhat spiritual and get out of here without actually turning my life back over to King Jesus? Do you think he wants to be the Lord of your life? I do. Do you want to have heaven on earth? I do. Do you want things to be here as it is in heaven? 
then he has to be the king. God's word is law. His, his word sustains the universe. In fact, the scripture tells us that it's his word that actually keeps the world intact. We think it's gravity. It's actually his word. Who made the law of gravity? Him. So, if we want the kingdom of God to come into our lives on earth as it is in heaven, the only way to have that happen, this is the most simple, I know it's the most simple message, I pray that as you leave here, you won't be like, man, that guy, he's like, you know, did he just start preaching or something? <laughs> this, is, this is how simple it is. To have heaven on earth, you just have to put Jesus back on the throne of your life. Today, if you haven't yet, you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn your life over to him. You need to put him, first and foremost, on the throne of your life. If you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, man, you, why wouldn't you want to go down in the name of the king, the name of the one who died for you? Take on his name. Take upon royalty. Take upon the name of King Jesus. Amen. And he wants to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He wants to place his spirit inside you and give you power to overcome an authority that only comes with the king. Would you stand with me?